All right, uh, let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Joining us now, of course, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, the one and only David Locke, and of course his interview brought to you each and every week by our friends at the Murdoch Auto Group. David, hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Hey, we are doing very well, and I want to start here, David, because I've heard you explain uh, home court advantage and why Utah and Denver are the only two teams that actually have it. I've heard you explain it several times. I was trying to explain it to Gordon the other day, and I don't think I was doing it justice. So help me out. Explain the home court advantage uh, situation and how the math works out. So if you look at over the years, decades of NBA performance, Gordon, Home court advantage, those teams, oh, they have an unbelievable home court advantage. And it actually usually just means they're good, right? So the Bulls had an unbelievable home court advantage when they had Jordan, and then when they had Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler and nobody else, they actually didn't win at home. The only two teams that have consistently overperformed at home compared to their performance on the road is the, are the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. So that's the facts. And then the obvious takeaway from that is that it's altitude. That for all the fans and everything else, you know what really impacts players' performance is when they are suddenly stricken by not having any oxygen. And that the Denver Nuggets and Utah Jazz are the two teams that historically have had a home court advantage superior to that of what the team's natural performance is. Okay, so... Is there a difference in the playoffs? I read a, a, an essay on this once, and their conclusion was that the uh, the home court advantage goes to the team with a better record, right? And in the first couple of rounds, it's pretty one-sided, the home court advantage. But the conclusion was, kind of like what you just said, that it was because they were a better team. Uh, so in the you, playoffs, the second home game of a series, either traditionally game two or game four, are the games in which the home team most commonly loses. Hmm. Home court advantage almost if you just, you know, think about so the the home team's win loss percentage in games two and game four is over the years, I, I don't want to say it's fifty fifty, but it's it's surprisingly small. Whereas particularly game one, which implies the better team is at home, has a really high level um, home team winning rate. And then there's also an incredible number that makes playoff series really boring about what the record of the team that wins game one is. It's like really good. So um, that's, that's really where you get your home court advantage. If you win, is winning game one, being ahead in the series, and then only having to win you know, three to their four in the final six. Okay, so with that in mind, David, my, my question for you is because now with this bubble situation, we're not going to have any home court advantage. And I always thought that the matchup was more important than home court advantage anyway, but that's just my opinion. Now the matchup really matters. So how is that going to affect, do you think, teams jockeying for position in these final eight games of the regular season? What are we going to see? I don't think teams are going to jockey for position. Me, I guess if they have a team they really want to play, maybe they'll try to line up to them. I mean, Denver did it last year. Um, so maybe we'll see that. But I think that um, I don't see that there's somebody in... There's two things. I, I don't think that there's anybody in that group that's really inferior to everybody else. Maybe Utah without Boyan Bogdanovich. We'll see. Um, and two, I'm not sure everyone's going to know who everyone is. 
right? Like if Portland brings back Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic, you actually don't even know who they are eight games into this thing. And if someone starts badly the first five games, do you, but they were a team you didn't want to play, do you suddenly want to play them now as though there's something wrong with them? Or do you think they're going to get their vibe in the next three? So I think it's going, unless it comes down to like the final night of the year where you could lose a game on purpose, I think teams are going to be more interested in just making sure their players are ready. Maybe they, because they don't care about seeding as much, maybe Jokic only plays six of eight or LeBron only plays five of eight or something of that sort. But I, I'll be surprised if there's really jockeying. Now, I think Boston would like to avoid Philadelphia, but that's going to be difficult for them. Um, and, and we'll see whether, whether it all happens that way. But I think it's going to be difficult to jockey in the manner we saw Denver do it last year. David, uh, when Quinn Snyder appeared on, what was he on? What was it, uh, Jake? First take. Uh, first take. First yeah. take, yeah. That I have it. not seen it yet, so I apologize. Okay, but he said he was asked a couple of questions centering on, at least in part, on uh, Donovan Mitchell. And I wanted to run those things by you. First sure. of all, he said that Donovan and Rudy are all cool now, that uh, they are, uh, they'll, I forget the exact, exact words, but that they will be able to function, function well together and whatnot. First question is, do you have any reason to believe otherwise? And then the second question was, he was asked about Donovan's capability to become an alpha dog at at the top tier NBA level. Do you believe that he has the skill set uh, at uh, you know moving forward? He's only twenty three, but does he have the skill set to ascend to that superstar level? So you have to tell me what how we're defining that last portion of that. So like do I think he could be LeBron or Giannis or Kawhi Leonard is one of the three best players in the league and be like the MVP? Probably not. Like at six one, I think that's not really possible. Part of the reason those guys are all that is they're seven feet and six seven and six eight. Like I think there's I think that's difficult. Do I think that he could become one of the primary elite scorers in the league? Sure. Like, do I think he could get a little bit more efficient with his shot selection, up his shooting, his three game a little bit more? Like, I think there's an interesting uh, – Bradley Beal was on a podcast talking about how, you know, he was working with his trainer and how they kind of, like, figured out what it would take to earn – to make – to score 30. Like, I think that – I think Donovan could do what Bradley Beal has done – um, I think that's an interesting comp. Um, I was actually planning to dig into that. I was digging into it a little bit today, so that happens to be kind of on the top of my mind. Um, from from when I heard Bradley Beal say that, I thought to myself, oh, that's like um, – and, and I think, you know, they play somewhat similar positions. Bradley is a little bigger, but I don't think he's a better shooter, honestly. I think um, I think that's a misnomer. Um, Beal came in the league – at a different age, so it depends if you want to compare their 23-year-old years, um, or if you want to compare their 20, their um, ages, you know, their third years. But I was comparing their 23-year-old um, years. So this is actually Bradley Beal's fifth year in the league earlier today. Now I've pulled it back up. So they played the exact same amount of time. This is this is Donovan's this year and Bradley Beal in, in the same age. They shot the exact same field goal percentage. Bradley Beal's effective field goal percentage was 51 to Donovan's 50.4, so it's better. Donovan goes to the line more. 
Donovan rebounded a little more. If you look at per 36 minutes, they're going to be similar. But Donovan actually scored 24 points a game, and Bradley Beal scored 19 per 36 minutes in that same age. So the only really area where looking at them and trying to figure out, you know, some aspects of them is, is that I think that, you know, Donovan could probably adjust some of his uh, where he takes his shots and, and get a little bit more efficient. And frankly, Donovan takes seven threes a game compared to at that point compared to Bradley Beal's five and a half. So if you look at Bradley Beal today, thirty point five points a game, like I think I think that's in the realm for Donovan. Um, what's and what has Bradley Beal done to do that? He's one taking more shots. He's taking a more. He's taking a more threes, and he's jumped from averaging four point four free throw attempts to eight free throw attempts a game. And if you look at them at a similar point, they both kind of didn't have a lot of assists. Now Beal suddenly has six with John Wall being out. But so I think that's a real comp for Donovan is to follow the path of Bradley Beal. And if that's the elite level player that you're talking about, I mean, Beal was not an all-star and Donovan was, but I think we all kind of understand who Bradley Beal is and how good he is. Um, so I, I think that he can be that. Absolutely. Do I think he can be LeBron? Giannis? Probably not. David Locke is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David, uh, you've got your ear to the ground at all times. Have you heard anything about how the workouts with jazz players currently is going? Um, I've, I've heard that they're taking place. Um, um, but I don't, I don't think, I don't know, you know, um, I've heard certain players. Honestly, I don't know what I'm allowed to say. So there, okay. there. Sorry, well, I didn't mean to I, put you in a bad yeah, spot. No, sorry, okay. I'm not going to even BS about it. There's like, <laughs> like so clamped down right now. I like, I feel like I'm sorry. Well, what was that great show? Um, it aired right before Streets of San Francisco. Um, anyway, can't think of what it is anymore. Now, oh, now I'm old, really old, interested in knowing what old the show. Some, yeah, it's probably one of the black and whites that Bowler watches on the plane. <laughs> um, So, well, what do you think? Uh, like, yeah, well, sorry, I just I, I can't answer that question. Well, on a, I, I mean, I don't have a great. Let me be perfectly clear. Like, I have very little information, but I actually don't even know if I can share that. So. Well, well, on a related note, let me let me ask you this: How do you think about, uh, or what do you think about the time allotted to prepare for the season, including you know the camp here and Orlando? How they've laid out the preparation process to get back to NBA shape and ready to go? I thought it was a ton. I did too. I thought it was a lot. And so I think they're addressing two things there. One is, hey, we want actually good competitive basketball, and so let's try to get everybody back in shape. And two, you know, let's deal with the fact that, yes, we've never been through this, and for some of you guys it's been hard to get workouts. You live in apartments, and we're going to try to not rush you back and have you have injuries. Like, I think that's uh, – I think that's – it's a two-part equation. But, you know, if it was just all – Ninety percent of it's about money, right? You know why? Because it's a business. So it's surprising when it's a, not a hundred percent about money. Like I, I have a hard time when I hear people like, "Oh, the NBA is only going back for money," right? Because they're a business. It's the same reason like McDonald's put ice cream back on their like <laughs> menu last week because they actually can make more money if they put ice cream back on. Like, well, I don't get it. Like, what else is it supposed to be? But I actually think this is 10% that's actually not about money. Like, I think this is actually about player health and making sure that we that guys come back and we don't have a rash of injuries and that the game looks good. 
So, Jake, do me a favor. Gordon, put, Gordon that gonna... question's only about money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Jake, run that thing by David that you uh, brought up earlier about players. Uh, you had the story in front of you. I don't. Uh, the one that we uh, sort of had that discussion on. Do you know the one I'm referring uh, to? Adrian Wojnarowski, I've got the tweets up in front of me. I don't know if you've seen these, David. Uh, I'll just read through them real quick. Uh, Adrian's uh, basically talked about how there's a group of players that expressed concern about restarting the season in Orlando, and they've had conversations recently. I'll read this tweet specifically. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski says, the NBA and the NBA PA are nearing completion on items needed to reach a final agreement on parameters of a return uh, oh actually excuse me I'm reading the wrong one the NBA and NBA PA are expected to agree on a provision that wouldn't require players to restart the season nor subject them to discipline for staying home the players would lose a portion of salary for those games missed and the point I raised was well then you are punishing them for staying home they're missing salary so aren't you just really putting pressure on people to not communicate their concerns I have a feeling that whatever the guy who used to say is, I know nothing. Who was that show, Gordon? That was, I'm doing uh, it again. Hogan's Heroes. Hogan's Heroes. Yeah. So I am being Sergeant Schultz from Hogan's Heroes. I know nothing. But <laughs> nobody got this reference. Man, are we old, Gordon. We are so old. Man, you just um, brought back some fond memories, man. Um, but. Baseball is is screwing this up considerably so that we all know that there is a um, major label, labor dispute going on amongst team, the t- union and the teams. Like, it's like you can't avoid it, right? And it's, it's just a massive, massive labor dispute. And I heard Manfield came out today and said 100% there'll be a season. There's absolutely no way that he knows that right now. Like, and what is that? That's just another negotiating statement. I think there's a little of this going on in the NBA right now. And I think they're doing, again, I don't know anything, but I think they're doing a good job of keeping it relatively quiet. But, like, the whole thing when the play, when the NBA announced the date in which the next season would start and then Michelle Roberts came back and said, like, I don't know, I don't know that. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I'm guessing, just, I was trying to figure this out, just, I'm deducing. I think that's about the Olympics. Right, because if you start early, you can finish in time so all the players go to the Olympics. Well, but if you don't want to start that early, then we have the right to tell our players that they can't go to the Olympics. So I think there's all of these little, tiny negotiations, understandable across the board, that are taking place between the players' union and the NBA because everything's new. And so every time I'm hearing one of these stories, kind of like that one, Jake, and you know, all the base, I just think that's going on a little bit right now. I think they're trying to keep it quiet because it does, it's a bad look. A baseball didn't quite understand how bad a look it is. But I think that to some extent that's, re- that's what's taking place. And I, it's actually reasonable on everyone's end because that's why you have a union and that's why you sign contracts because your company's supposed to uphold them. And so, or your, your collective bargaining partner's supposed to uphold them, right? Like, so that's how they work. And so that's why there's a negotiation taking place. You know, and I think there's nothing wrong with it, and I think that it's – but I think there's a little bit of gamesmanship going on right now. David, based on what you know about the plan so far, the details of the plan, do you see areas where you think there could be a sinkhole, that, that, uh, an area that could cause trouble 
moving forward that has not been considered yet? No, I think they've got it pretty well considered. I mean, the, the sinkhole is what happens when either one of two things takes place that is problematic. One is that a team gets infected, which having been on the team that most, you know, prominently had it, we don't even actually know that anyone gave it to anyone. Right? Like there's a chance that Donovan got it on the East Coast road trip at some point since he was asymptomatic. We don't we don't know any of the timetable on it. And Rudy might have got like there's a legitimate chance that we all lived together for whatever amount of time and somebody had COVID and no one got it, right? Like that's like I could if I had to make that argument, I could make it. I have no idea if I'm right, but I could make the argument with all sorts of logic. So it seems unlikely that this would happen, but if a individual team has a massive outbreak and suddenly eight of their players have COVID-19 and they can't form field a team, what are we doing? Hmm. But I still believe very strongly about this. Well, I'm sure a bunch of the media will jump around. What a failure to no. That was the attempt. That was the try done under the best information they possibly could take under the best guidance they could have with an attempt to go after it. And it didn't work. Oh, okay. Well then we stopped the league. There's no champion. We're going to try to restart in December and we better figure out what didn't start and didn't work because December might be harder with the flu and COVID going on at the same time and no vaccine by December. So I think one of the most important things that's actually going on here and the NBA is the first guinea pig out of the shoot is that exactly that, a guinea pig to find out what works and what doesn't. So while there might be a sinkhole along the way, I think the other sinkhole, the unthinkable, is that somebody, you know, gets COVID and dies, and then what, you know, oh, my gosh, what does the league do? Is it Stats Guy or somebody working on TV broadcast? Like, it could just be anybody, right? Um, so, but I don't view this as, like, some... If it doesn't work, it's some disaster. I think it's the best experiment they can put on in the environment with the knowledge we have to try this. The positive side of this that's, that I haven't heard anyone talk about is if it works and we get an NBA final champion and it works and we start it off in December next year back in our home arenas with 25% crowd and we get to January and the flu's going and COVID's going and all of a sudden, oh, crap, this doesn't work. We can go back to the Orlando bubble mm-hmm. or some model of that that we've already learned and used to finish the, another season. Like, I think that's the most valuable thing that could come out of this is that you now have a fallback plan if it works. David, have you gotten any word as far as you, whether you'll be on that plane or not? Um, since Kevin Harlan said today that TNT will be doing their broadcasts from, uh, not from Orlando, not from Orlando, but from their studio in Atlanta for a period of time, uh, I'm suspecting that that's where, what I'm doing, but I don't have any official, um, word. I haven't, I haven't been informed of anything officially, but I'm, I got asked yesterday by Scotty if I was willing to go and I, um, I decided that at the like core experience of being a reporter and someone who who wants like that's really why I'm in the business is to be a reporter that the that while I would miss my family I mean I, I think they could push me out but um, quickly um, I just think it would be a heck of an experience to go and 
it might wear off after a little while, but I, I'd be willing. I think it would be really an interesting experience. I, I'd like to go. Like I, I'm not. I'm not like trying to put somebody in a corner or a box or anything like that. Like if our if broadcasters aren't going, broadcasters aren't going. I, I'm just sharing personally the idea of being there, seeing it work, getting a vibe of it, being able to relay that back to people um, and share what the experience is and what the players are experiencing and what the atmosphere is like and all of those things. I I think that would be uh, why we're in the business. I mean, I think that's, I think that's why at 18 years old, I dreamed of doing this. David, one last thing I wanted to run by Uh, a little bird chirped in my ear that maybe some congratulations are in order for your daughter's uh, performance on the golf course. Uh, she won two a state. Um, she played well. She did, she did well. She caught, uh, she was in the Utah junior stadium match play and, uh, plays with just an incredible group of girls out here. She got hammered today by Grace Summerhays. The Summerhays have done that to a lot of kids. Grace is <laughs> one of the most beautiful golfers I've ever seen. Um, match didn't last long today. Grace, this is pretty incredible. We played 14 holes, I think, today. Grace had 12 pars, or three birdies and 11 pars, and I don't think of the 11 pars, I think only one of the putts was over three feet. Wow. Wow. I mean, she's... I, I You know, uh, I was talking to Jeff Thurman, who runs Utah Junior Golf Association today, and so there was there was a run of, of uh, when Annie Thurman, Jeff's daughter, came through many years ago. There was a, there was a run of about uh, five girls who all played division one that were out of the same group there's an incredible group of young girl golfers in the state so uh lila galela who's uh tony finau's niece is an unbelievable player berlin long who won six a state title for lone peak um is a top 25 so both of those are top 25 recruits in the country in their in their classes um there's a girl named sunbin um, Seo, who's a top 50 recruit in the country, um, Militarian's an incredible player. Victoria Romney's a, a, a maze. There, there's there's eight. Grace Summerhays' top 20 recruit in the country. It has to be better than that. I can't imagine there's 19 watching her today. I can't imagine there's 19 girls in her recruiting class that are better. So there's a really neat thing going on here in Utah. There's there's Whitney Bands has had just finished her four year career at West and has been a great player in the UJGA. There's a there's an incredible group of young girls, which is not something that Utah's always had. It's really once or twice before it's happened and this is kind of a an interesting time right now. So um it's it's fun to be able I'm around it every day, literally, and get to see it and it's it's incredible to watch these these girls play. They, we were up at the barn today, and at one point, I think after seven holes, the girls' collective score was minus one. Wow. Playing from the white tee boxes. It's pretty great. Hey, can I throw out one other thing? I, I try not to do this very often, but I think this one's special, and I'd like to share it. Let's do it. Um, the Locked On Podcast Network tomorrow uh, will be airing a Black Lives Matter roundtable. Seven of our hosts um, got together and hosted in about a 90-minute show uh, just talking about their life as black men in America. Hmm. Um, I listened into it while it's been done. I've, I've, I've heard it multiple times. And so we're going to take all 150 of our podcasts, and they'll all release the same show tomorrow. So locked on Cougars, locked on Jazz, locked on everything. Um, what struck me, and if you, if you have time, we're not selling any advertising on the show, so I'm not trying to make any money or anything. Like, but just if you have time, I, I'd suggest you listen to it. But, what struck me 
uh, and hurt hurt me as an American citizen is how all of them have the same story. All seven of them have been pulled over at some point in time and harassed. All seven of them at some point in time have been called the N-word. All seven of them at some point in time have been referred to as some other, you know, terrible slur. All seven of them have experiences ranging from um, being told that they can't do a live read on a radio show unless it's for used cars because that's what their people buy. Mm. How about that one? Mm. Mm. To being the gifted fifth grader who's told by the teacher, your kind don't go into the gifted program. It's terrible. It was really... We, this is just like, we just grabbed set. We have 14 African and black members of our staff. We just grabbed seven of them. I didn't choose seven. I chose, I chose actually the seven that in retrospect, I didn't think about it until I listened to them tell their life stories, who've all probably had the most doors open to them and led them to the most success along the way. Hmm. I mean, one of them told a story about walking home with his three buddies in sixth grade and go to the neighborhood that his mom is the white neighborhood that his mom's moved them into to get him out of the hood to try to help him through in life. And some lady comes out of the house and says, "What are you boys doing here?" She said, "I'm going home. You guys don't live here." Hmm. I mean, it just was. It was like, and what was so interesting is the seven of them together were just so matter of fact. Like, oh, like this, this, and so anyway, if, if someone if you get a chance, if you have ninety minutes, if you're interested. Y'all should be interested. Um, I'm, I'm glad we're putting this out. Um, I know people don't come to us for anything other than sports, and we're doing some other than sports, so it'll ruffle a feather or two. But I'm glad we allowed our seven hosts, who are just they're just us, right? Like they're not celebrities. They're not even as big a deal as Gordon Monson. <laughs> they're just regular American citizens, and this is what they experience. This is their life. It's crazy. We'll make sure and check it out, David, and thank you for bringing that up. We really appreciate it. I'm glad you guys did that. That's great. Thank you, guys. Thank you, David, as always. Uh, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Uh, Always look forward to having David on, and we'll have more coming up next on The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.